Okay, if you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 19. We're going to talk about, uh, we're on the day of crucifixion. We, last week we kind of finished up on the trial and the uh, presentation of Jesus before Pilate. Uh, and now we're finishing up on that as he is now being sentenced to be crucified. But first of all, I want to I talk about the chronology of the day. Uh, because sometimes I think it helps to just kind of get a picture in your minds of what happened on that day. Now, as you know, Jesus was arrested in the middle of the night on Thursday night and was taken before the high priest during the night where no other, the multitudes wouldn't be around. And so he could do that, they could do that kind of in private. So then he was brought to Pilate on, third, on a Friday morning around 6 o'clock. So when you look at the timing, you want you, you, there's different uh, mentions of time in the different Gospels. So I want to make sure you understand so that there's no contradictions in that. So in John chapter 19, verse 14, it says, Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. Now the day of preparation for the Passover, if you'll remember back in the story of the Jews coming out of Egypt, what was the Passover about? Do you remember? Okay, the Passover was the Passover of the angel passing over the houses of the Israelites and, and killing the firstborn of the Egyptians. And so they had to have, they had to kill the lamb on the day of Passover and they had to eat that meal and prepare their, their for the journey because they were going to have to get out of Egypt in haste the following day. So the day of preparation was pre pre preparation to be freed from Egypt and to get out of Egypt. And so they ate the Passover meal in preparation to get out. So this is called the day of preparation. It is the Passover day. Okay? So that's what they were doing on the Passover day. Now it says here it was about the sixth hour. Okay. John's gospel is using the timing of the day as the Romans would time the day. Now the Roman clock, in the, as far as the timing of the hours of the day, would start at midnight. And so the sixth hour would be six o'clock. So this reference here in verse 14 is a reference to the beginning of the day of Passover. I mean, the day of preparation or the day of Passover, which in the Jews' accounting of time, they start the 24-hour cycle from six o'clock in the evening until six o'clock the next evening. So the Passover day would begin six o'clock on Thursday evening, which is why Jesus had his Passover meal uh, probably after six o'clock on Thursday, the Last Supper, because it was still considered part of the Passover day. But in the Jewish reckoning of time, they didn't actually count, start counting the hours of the day until six o'clock in the morning, and they only counted the 12 hours from six o'clock to six o'clock. So when you're talking about the hours in the Jewish reckoning of time, it would start at six o'clock in the morning, the first hour, and it would end at six o'clock in the evening, the 12th hour. Okay? So, so when we're talking about this day, it, it appears that Jesus was brought before Pilate the first time at about six o'clock in the morning on Friday morning. Okay? Now, if you'll turn over to Mark 15. Mark and Matthew and Luke are using the Jewish accounting of time when they count for the hours. And in Mark 15, verse 25, uh, when they're, the, the crucifixion begins, it says, and, and they, it says, and they, uh, in verse 25, it was the third hour when they crucified him. 
So the third hour of Jewish reckoning of time of that day would be what? Nine o'clock. Okay, so the crucifixion is the time period between nine o'clock and three o'clock. Okay? Because in, in the Matthew account, Matthew 27, we'll get to the, the accounting of what happens on that time later, but in Matthew 27, verse 45, it says, Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. And so what you have is that Jesus is, is crucified or put on the cross around a nine o'clock hour of Friday morning. He is on the cross from 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock. And from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, the darkness covers the earth, or covers Jerusalem. So it's the, it's the time of the actual separation of the Son and the Father. Okay? So this morning we're going to look at the occurrences that happened just prior to him going to the cross after he's been sentenced and up to the noon hour. So during this time period between 9 o'clock and noon is when you have all of the different interactions of the people involved with Jesus on the cross. And then from noon to 3 o'clock, you have the darkness falling, and he is in agony being forsaken by the Father and having the fathers separated from the Father. And then he dies around 3 o'clock. Okay, and then the last thing about the day is um, Mark 15... Let's see here. In Mark 15, 42. No, that's not it. Yes, it is. It says in verse 42, And when evening had already come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. Now, what he's talking about is the preparation day ends at 6 o'clock in the evening. And the Sabbath begins at 6 o'clock. And this is important uh, in Luke's Gospel, 20, chapter 23, verse 54, it says, um, and it was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. Okay, so if you go back to John's Gospel, you get a little bit of explanation of the urgency of the the hour in John 19 verse 41 and 42 it says now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid therefore on account of the Jewish day of preparation because the tomb was nearby they laid Jesus there in other words because the Jewish day of preparation was coming to an end and the Sabbath was beginning they had to have his body buried before the Sabbath began and so because of the nearness of the tomb, and it worked out that Joseph of Arimathea had offered his, uh, to, take, to take him and place him in his tomb, which was close by, they had to bury him in a place that was close to where he was crucified so that they could have that done before the Sabbath began. Okay? So that's how this whole day works. From 9 o'clock till, till 6 o'clock, you have the completion of the day. And at 9 o'clock, he is put on the cross around that. At 12 o'clock, you have the, the actual uh, payment being made for sin between uh, Christ being separated from the Father. And then at 3 o'clock, he dies, and then he's buried before 6 o'clock in the evening. Any questions about that timing? Okay, I just thought it might, as we're 
trying to picture ourselves being there during what's going on in this day that it helps to kind of have a timing of, of what goes on during that time. Okay, so let's go back to John chapter 19. And so here is what happened uh, at the beginning of, right before he was crucified. In verse 1 it says, Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. Um, anybody know what a scourging entails? Yes, it's a, they used a leather whip that had pieces of, gla- of bone or, or metal on the ends of the strands. And when they would lash, the, they, would take the, they would strip the man's uh, upper body and they would reach him out so that his back would be taut. And then they would hit him with the whip and then they would jerk those uh, metal things and it would tear the flesh off the back. So it was a very uh, cruel uh, punishment and they were limited on, I think, 39 lashes because of the possibility of someone dying. And, and people did die because of the scourging. So here is Pilate, who is reluctantly trying to deal with this situation with Jesus. So he takes him and has him scourged. And then it says in verse 2, the soldiers wore a crown of thorns, wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him blows in the face. And so here you have Jesus being humiliated and mocked because of his statement that he is the King of the Jews and that they are fulfilling prophecy in the Old Testament during all this time, but they are humiliating him as he is being suffering prior to him putting on the cross. Now Pilate, in verse 4, said, He came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus therefore came out wearing the crown of thorns and purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When therefore the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify, crucify. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he had made himself out to be the Son of God. Now, again, Pilate knows that Jesus has done nothing worthy of death. So Pilate takes Jesus and he has him beaten, has him scourged, has him punished, even though he was not guilty, And then he brings him back to the Jews, hoping that this punishment that he's inflicted upon Jesus will be sufficient. But the Jews will have none of this. They want him dead. And so here they say, we want him dead because he violated our law that he made himself up to be the son of God. Now, before they were talking about him being the king, and they were trying to use this this analogy that he is trying to be a king to overthrow Rome, to overthrow Caesar, to, overthrow, to cause insurrection. And now they're saying he's the son of God. And because he says he's the son of God, he's worthy of death according to our law. But they can't put him to death because they're under Roman jurisdiction and the Jews have no authority to put anyone to death. And so that's why they had to bring him to, to, to Pilate in the first place. And so Pilate who has already been under a great trepidation because of this whole thing, having his wife told him to have no part with this righteous man, knowing that he was not guilty and knowing that they were only doing this because they were envious of him because he was causing a great multitude of people to follow him instead of following the Pharisees. Knowing all this, 
Now Pilate is confronted with the reality of what he is accused of being. And it says here, Pilate says, uh, in verse 8, Pilate therefore heard this statement, he was all the more afraid. I mean, he is in a, in a really bad place because he knows he's convicting an innocent man. He's afraid of the, the people. And now the, the real determination of the Jews is that he claims to be the Son of God. So now we're getting into a really bad place for Pilate. So when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid, and he entered into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Who or where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And Pilate therefore said to him, do you, do you, you do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me up to you has the greater sin. So here Pilate goes to Jesus and says, Who are you? Who are you really? And he says, Do you not realize that I hold in my hand your life or death. And Jesus makes a clear statement, the same statement that Nebuchadnezzar found out is that God has authority over all human affairs on earth. And Jesus says, you would have no authority. Your authority comes from above. And the only authority you have is what was given to you from above. And you do have authority. He does have authority to have Jesus put to death. But that's the sovereign purpose and plan of God to have him put under this authority. In fact, the whole point of the Romans being over the Jews at this point in time was so that the Romans could execute the crucifixion of Christ, the sovereign Lamb of God that was preordained before the foundation of the world to be crucified at this very time. And that's exactly what Peter was saying in Acts chapter 2 when he's preaching the sermon at Pentecost. And he makes that statement about the fact that they put him to death, but it was preordained of God. And he says, this man delivered up, verse 23 of Acts chapter 2, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. So here you have an example of the providence of God using the evil hearts of men to carry out the very perfect will of God from the foundation of the world. God has purposed that the lamb that was preordained, that was foreknown before the foundation of the world, according to 1 Peter 20, that this lamb of God, the word that became flesh, Jesus of Nazareth, the one that the angel told to Mary, you were going to bear a son and name him Jesus. The one that the angel told Joseph, this son is coming to save his people from their sins. This man was preordained for this moment in time. And God used the choices of sinful people to carry out his providential purpose plan that was foreordained before the foundation of the world. So when we discussed providence last night in our Q&A session, we're talking about the fact that God, who is omniscient, who is in control of all things, who has nothing under outside of his will that is done, that is the one that is in control of everything and everything that he purposes to do will come about just as he purposes to do it, even with the use of people that are making choices thinking they are doing their own thing, but they're only doing their own thing because the circumstances that God has ordained has put them in a place where they have to make a choice and, they cho and their choice is always to carry out the perfect will of God. And that's what's going on here. 
This was predetermined, pre-planned, pre-purposed by God, and he used the hearts and the minds and the will of sinful people to carry it out. And so that's what John is talking about, and that's what Jesus is talking about when he says to Pilate, you have no authority, your authority comes from above, and you are the one that God has ordained to be in this place at this time to carry out God's will. And then he says, for this reason, he who delivered me up to you has the greater sin. Now you're going to find out that the Jewish leaders, the Jewish leaders are the ones that are guilty. Everyone else is carrying out their desire and their plan, but the Jewish leaders are the ones that knowingly had Jesus Christ, the Son of God, put to death. And in my mind, there's no way that they did not know that he is exactly who he said he is. The, the Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests knew exactly that Jesus Christ had done everything the Messiah was going to do, had pr proved himself to be the literal son of God, and they're so dark in their minds and their hatred of him that they put him to death knowing he was the son of God. That is amazing. But that's the mind of depraved, darkened, men that hate God and hate things because they're carrying out the will of their father, the devil. Okay. So, as a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard these words, he brought Jesus out and set him down on the judgment seat at, and set down on the judgment seat at the place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha, and it was the day of preparation for the Passover that we argued that. And then verse 15 says, They therefore cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So that was the final statement made. And then he is led out to be crucified. Okay, so in verse 16, So then they therefore delivered him to be crucified. Now the crucifixion began as the, he is sentenced to die, and then he is compelled to bear his own cross. Now, when we're talking about bearing his own cross, we're talking about the cross beam, not the entire cross, it's the cross beam. So they would take the cross beam and they would place it on the pole that was already in place. All right, they, or they would raise the pole up and put it in place. But the, the cross beam is what he was nailed to or tied to, however they were going to crucify. They were, they were nailed and, and, and to the cross beam, and then they would carry the cross beam out to the place of the, uh, the crucifixion, and then they would tie that or, or, or place that cross beam on the pole, and then they would raise the pole up and put it in the ground, and then, then they would be crucified in that way. And so here it says that Jesus bore his own cross. Now, in, in another passage there in Matthew 27, it talks about he didn't bear his cross the entire way because there was another person that bore his cross also. So in Matthew 27, uh, 32, it says, And as they were coming out, so he's carrying his cross, his cross beam is out of the place of the sentencing there. And then he was coming out toward the gate of the city going to uh, Golgotha, or the place where the crucifixion was going to be placed. And as they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear his cross. Now, why was that necessary? He was so scourged and so weakened by the loss of blood and so weakened by his situation of being beaten that he couldn't continue to carry his cross. And so they compelled someone else to carry his cross for him from that point on. 
Okay, so that's what's going on as we approach the nine o'clock hour, and he is approaching the time when he is going to be crucified. Now, look in Luke chapter 23. This is another part of this day of drama that's going on in the crucifixion of Christ. Verse 26 of Luke chapter 23, And when they led him away, they laid, they laid hold of one, Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country, and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And there was following him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. So here you have a multitude of his followers, especially the women, that were mourning and crying and weeping because of the treatment that Jesus was receiving. Now, before you had the multitudes, not his followers, the multitudes that were riled up by the, the priest and the leadership to say, crucify him. But now you have followers of his that had come, many of them had come from Galilee area, and, and they were watching what's going on, they were seeing what's going on, and now they're seeing Jesus having been beaten, scourged, and now he's going to be crucified. And they're following and they're weeping over him. And so Jesus makes a statement to these people, to the Jewish people, and this is his statement in verse 28. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that are never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains fall on us and to the hills cover us, for if they do these things in the green tree, what will happen in the dry? So what's Jesus referencing here? There's two, there's two occurrences that he's referencing. The first one is what happens in 70 AD. In 70 AD, the Romans came in, and the Romans besieged the city, and then they overran the city, and they destroyed the temple, they killed millions of Jews, and they dispersed the rest of them all over the world. They had to flee. And it was like it was when it says in Luke chapter 21, when he tells about what's coming up for the Jews, in Luke 21, as a reference to the coming judgment in 70 AD, he says in verse 20, when you see armies, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is at hand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are in the midst of the city depart and let those who are in the country enter the city because these are the days of vengeance in order that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Woe to those who are with child and to those who nurse babies in those days for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to the, this people for they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So this is the first occurrence he's referencing to the Jews, to Jerusalem. He said, woe to you who are with child during this day of vengeance. So in 70 AD this happened. The Jews were decimated. They were destroyed and they were scattered. And they will remain scattered, he says, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now the times of the Gentiles begins with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar took the last Jewish king captive, and then he died in captivity with Nebuchadnezzar. Zedekiah, I think it was, it, was the one. And that was in 586 B.C. So the time of Gentiles coincides with the vision of Daniel, 
where you had Nebuchadnezzar's vision of the statue that began with Nebuchadnezzar as the head of the statue, and it will end with the Antichrist, who is the last ruler of the times of the Gentiles. That's yet future. 70 AD occurred, but there's another occurrence that's coming that's yet future, which is the time of the Antichrist, who is the last ruler of the times of the Gentiles. So the Jews are going to be decimated and trodden down until the last ruler of the Gentile nations that was depicted in Daniel, which is the Antichrist, until he rules the world in the last part of the tribulation. So that, that warning is in, found in Matthew 24. And the occasion for the, the warning in Matthew 24 is similar to the one in, in Luke 20, but it's a different time frame. So in Matthew 24, it says, in verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let him who is on the housetop not go down to get the things out of that that are in his house. And let him who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are with child and those who nurse babies in those days. But pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as not, such as not has occurred since the beginning of the world until now. And unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So here is the next occurrence of this this prophecy of Jesus about the time when the Jewish people are going to hate the fact that they have children or they're nursing babies because there's going to be a great another judgment upon the people of Israel. And that will occur at the midpoint of the tribulation when the Antichrist comes into the temple in Jerusalem and creates the abomination of desolation by putting his, his image in the Holy of Holies and declaring himself to be God. And then Israel is told to get out because the devastation that the Jews are going to face with, with the Antichrist and with Satan having his desires to wipe out the Jewish population. And they would have been wiped out unless the seven years had been brought to an end when it was scheduled to be brought to an end. Unless, Jesus, unless God had not brought it to an end, it would have continued and they would have been destroyed. So that's what Jesus is talking about here in Luke 23. He's talking about the two occurrences that the Jews are going to be decimated by because of this occurrence of the Jews having their Messiah crucified. So this is on the way to the cross that Jesus makes this statement in, in Luke chapter 23, and then uh, he gets to the time of the cross. Okay. Now, in John chapter 19 again, they get to the place of Calvary, In verse 18, and there they crucified him. Oh, well, let's go back to verse uh, 17. They took Jesus, therefore, and when he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which is in Hebrew, Golgotha, and there they crucified him, and with him two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. And Pilate wrote an inscription also and put it on the cross, and it was written, Jesus, the, Na the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Therefore, this inscription many of the Jews read, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. So here you have the place of the skull is on, I guess, Dick, is on a road coming into Jerusalem that people would travel from different places of the world. And so the inscription was not only written in Hebrew, it was written in Latin, it was written in Greek, 
It was written in all the languages that all the people in the surrounding area would possibly be underneath or be understanding. It was written so that everybody would know who this person was. Anybody walking by would know that this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Now, the Pharisees didn't like that. And so the chief priests in verse 21 said to the, uh, were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but say, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. So therefore, the inscription was placed on the top of the cross that Jesus is Jesus, the king of the Jews, in three different languages. So that anybody going by would know exactly that they had put to death the king of the Jews. Okay? So that's what was going on as Jesus is put on the cross. Now, he makes mention there that there was two criminals that were crucified with him, and we'll talk about them in just a second. Now, turn back to, to Luke chapter 23. And when they came, verse 33, and when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. And it said, but but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Now, what was Jesus talking about here and who he was talking to? Who was he talking about? The Roman soldiers. He's talking about the Roman soldiers. The Roman soldiers are the one that actually took him and put him to death. But they did it because they didn't, they didn't know what they were doing. In other words, they didn't know the ramifications. The Jews did. They didn't know the ramifications. So he's not saying forgive them of their sin. He's not saying that they're saved. He's not saying that they are to be uh, in paradise with him. He's saying do not add this offense to their charge because they did it without knowing what they were doing. They were acting out of their own heart, doing the things they always did to other criminals that were hanged and crucified. They were doing what they always did. They were acting out what they were doing, not necessarily because they understood who Jesus really was. Okay? So that his, his statement there is not a statement relieving them of their overall sin. It's not relieving them of their, their punishment of eternal hell. It's relieving them of this sin being added to their account. Okay? And then he goes on and says, and it says here, uh, they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen ones. And the soldiers also mocked him, saying to him, and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who was hanged there was hurling abuse at him. Okay, so let's go back to Matthew's account. I want you to understand the whole mindset of those that were casting and, and hurling insults at him. In verse, 30, uh, verse 38 of Matthew 27, At that time two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, and those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we shall believe in him. He trusts in God. Let him deliver him now if he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I am the Son of God. So the Jews were saying, If you'll come down, we'll trust in you. Does that sound familiar? 
all the way through his ministry, the Jews kept saying, if you'll give us a sign, we'll believe. And they would say, he would give the signs all the way through his ministry, and they didn't believe. But they kept saying, if you'll just give us another sign, we'll believe. So finally, in Matthew chapter 12, when they commit the, the sin of the unpardonable sin as the Jews, leaders, they commit a sin where they have, as representatives of the nation, they have rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah, and that sin cannot be undone. It will be carried out. And then Jesus makes a statement, there will be no more sign given to you. I'm not coming down off the cross because I'm here on the cross to fulfill the will of my Father and to accomplish what I've come to accomplish. I cannot come, off, I cannot come down off the cross. He could have. He had the power to do that. But he's not coming down the cross because he's going to fulfill the will of the Father. He's going to fulfill the will of God. He's going to, he's going to fulfill everything he had purposed and come to accomplish to do. But he said earlier that there will be no sign given to you except the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah is the resurrection from the dead. Now he gave that sign when he resurrected Lazarus from the dead to the Jews so that they might believe that he is the Son of God, that he has the power over death. He came out of the tomb himself at, after the crucifixion and was resurrected from the dead as a sign to the Jews. And they rejected that sign and said that the disciples made up the story. In the tribulation time, the two witnesses that are witnessing in Jerusalem are going to be killed in front of all the people, and all the people are going to see them laying in the street for three days, and then they're going to be resurrected from the dead and ascend into heaven, and everybody's going to see them as the final sign of Jonah to the Jews. And the remnant of the Jews will begin to believe, and by the end of the tribulation, they will, the remnant will all be saved because of the sign of Jonah. But at this time, he's not giving them a sign by coming down off of the cross. Now, the, second, the next thing he says in verse, uh, after 43, when he says, he trusts in God, let him deliver himself now, if he takes pleasure in him, he, for he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers also who had been crucified with him were casting the same insult at him. So what you have here at the beginning of the crucifixion, when he's put on the cross and having all these people hurling insults at him, speaking of him in a mocking way, in a derogatory way, they're all there, and the two robbers were in coercion, were, were in agreement with that. Both of them, at this point in time, were saying the same things. Okay? So this is early on in the, from 9 o'clock to 12 o'clock time period that we're looking at this morning. And so the, 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 uh, the two robbers were in agreement with all the other people that were hurling insults at him. And something happened during the time of that till you get back to the passage um, in, John, uh, in John's Gospel. Let's see. I think it's in John's Gospel. Let's see. It only said one of the guys was Do what? In verse 39 it says... In Luke? Of the yeah. Okay, yeah, but that's, that's later. Okay, that's later. Okay, there's two things that happened here. Uh, between that we haven't covered yet between the time of 9 o'clock and the time of 12 o'clock. And the other, the other thing is, is what you just said. So after a time period, one of the criminals who was hanged there were hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us also. But the other one answered and rebuking him said, Do, not, do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? 
And we indeed justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, and he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. So between the nine o'clock hour, when the criminal and the robbers were put on the cross with next to Christ, and the 12 o'clock hour, the one of the criminals repented and believed in Jesus Christ. Okay? He started out hurling insults along with everybody else, but something changed. The Spirit of God opened up his heart, and he was regenerated and born again, and he saw Jesus for who he really was, and he understood. His statement of knowing that Jesus had done nothing wrong and that he is does not deserving of this, and we are, is a statement of him being enlightened and opened his, eye, his heart up to see Jesus who he was, and he shared a, a message of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and so today, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, where's paradise? Huh? Okay, so in the Old Testament, we had a place called the Hades, which is a place of all the dead. So if you died up until this time, your soul went to Hades. Your soul went to Hades. Now, Hades had two compartments. It was a compartment of hell, which was for the lost people, and a compartment of paradise, or Abraham's bosom, for the righteous people. So you had two compartments. And Jesus said, when he was talking about the rich man and Lazarus, Lazarus died and he went to Abraham's bosom and the rich man died and went to hell. Okay? And there was a great gulf fixed between the two. And so they couldn't go back and forth because the rich man wanted Lazarus to come and wet his tongue. Now he's talking about souls. You're not talking about bodies in hell. So you're talking about souls, but you're having the, the feeling of a body in your soul life and he's experiencing torment even though he doesn't have a body. But paradise was there. And so Jesus is going down into Hades after he dies. And then he, we'll talk about this when we get to that point of, the, of his resurrection. He goes down into Hades. He declares victory over the saints that are in hell. I mean, over the, the, the souls or the spirits that are in, in, in hell or in the pit that are bound. He declares victory. And he takes all those in paradise and takes them to heaven. So paradise has been transferred after the resurrection from Hades to heaven. So now every soul that dies believing in Jesus Christ, their soul goes immediately to be with Christ in heaven, which is called paradise. And that's where Paul was called up into, and he's up into the third heaven, and he saw paradise there. So he got a vision of paradise in heaven at that time. So this, this second robber was repented and, and was saved on the cross, and he wasn't baptized. So baptism is not part of salvation. Okay? Just throw that in there. Because we have um, some people that believe that baptism is a part of salvation. And they try to do all kind of hoops to get around this particular person that was saved without being baptized. But anyway. So the, the second robber was saved and was taken with Jesus after his death. First to paradise in Hades and then to heaven. Any questions on that? He was 
fearful that he was who he said he was. He wasn't believing. He was fearful because of the ramifications on him because he's the one who carried it out. But because he went through and carried it out because he feared the men more than he feared God was an indication that he was not a believer. No, I don't think she believed either. She just had a dream that bothered her because <clears throat> she realized that this man was not guilty of anything. And in her dream, evidently, it was something very fearful in her that you didn't want to have this man, you don't have anything to do with him. But that doesn't mean she's a believer either. <clears throat> Along that line as well, in the Matthew 27, 24, it talks about this account where Pilate washes his hands off the blood of Jesus and the Yes, I mean, Pilate is trying to excuse himself, and he says, I washed my hands. I, I, you, you're the ones that are guilty. I'm not guilty. I'm washing my hands of this, but yet I'm still the one that has the authority to do it. So he could stand up and say, I have the authority. I'm not going to do what you say. I'm going to do what's right. I'm not going to put this man to death because he's not guilty. But no. He, he's, he goes along with the multitude because he fears the multitude and says, I'm just, tr I'm just going to try to excuse myself. But then the, the Jewish leader saying yes. Oh, yeah. The Jews said. That does that have some significance? It does have some significance. because That goes back to what Jesus prophesied about them saying, don't, don't weep for me. Weep for the Jews because they're the ones that said, let his blood be upon us and our children. And it was. And God carried out the judgment upon them because of their, the leadership of Israel did knowingly what they did. There's no question about that. Now, one other thing before we close today is, uh, I think it's in John's Gospel 19. When he is on the cross right before the 12 o'clock hour, verse 25 Therefore the soldiers did these things, but they were standing by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own household. When Jesus said, Woman, behold your son, was John her son? No. John was not her son. Why were her sons not there? They didn't believe. Jesus' brothers at this point in time did not believe. They were unbelievers. They didn't believe in Jesus. And evidently Mary came down from Galilee with the other women from Galilee at this time to witness his death on the cross. But there's no indication that any of his brothers or sisters were there. And so Jesus turns to Mary and says, Mary, this disciple whom I love. Who is, who is which disciple? John. John's writing about himself here. Jesus says to Mary, behold your son. Speaking of John, saying, this, this one will be like a son to you. This one will take care of you. And then he turns to John and he says, behold your mother. You take her as your mother and you treat her as your mother. And that's what he did. He says, and he took her into his own household. And evidently, Joseph was not, along, not around. He had passed on. Evidently, Joseph is not there. And Mary is alone. And 
he instructs John to take care of his mother. And he did. So that's what Jesus is saying there. When in this, this last engagement from the cross with the people is an endearment engagement to his mother and to John as his last interaction with the people from the cross before he enters into the time of the darkness of being taken on sin for us. Okay? So this is, this is the noon hour. This is getting at the noon hour. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I am thirsty. And that, that, that actually occurs later at the end of the third hour when he is fixing to die. So let's just wait on that till, till next week. Um, and it's, uh, let's just stop there and have anybody got a question about the, the time period between the 6 o'clock hour in the morning and the 12 o'clock hour at noon. He's gone through the trial process. He's been beaten. He's been scourged. He's taken the time to, I mean, he's traveled from there to the cross. He's been put on the cross. He's had the interaction with those people uh, from the cross until the noon, the noon hour, and now he's entered into the time where he's going to pay for the sin debt of us. Any questions? <clears throat> but uh, the Jewish day is from 6 in the morning till 6 the next day? No, the Jewish day begins at 6 in the evening and it ends at 6 o'clock the next evening. But when they're talking about the hours of the day, they only talk about the daylight hours. So they start at 6 o'clock in the morning and 6 o'clock in the evening ends the daylight hours. So the, the third day of the daylight hours is 9 o'clock. The sixth day is 3, or the ninth day is 3 o'clock, and the twelfth day would be 6 o'clock in the evening. But the 24-hour day, like the Sabbath day is a 24-hour day, it would begin 6 o'clock in the evening and go through 6 o'clock the next evening. Okay, that's their 24 hours but in their counting of the days here, of the hours of the day, they start at daylight and they end at evening. So there's 12 hours in the daylight hours. So the preparation day for the Passover was Thursday, but they ate it Thursday. No, no, it was Thursday from 6 o'clock. The 24-hour preparation day would have been from any, any time between 6 o'clock in the evening on Thursday till 6 o'clock in the evening on Friday. The Passover day was the preparation day, so it's, it's Thursday. So the Thursday would be anywhere from the 24 hours. Jesus and his disciples ate the Passover on the evening after 6 o'clock on Thursday evening, which would have included the 24 hours of the preparation day. So they were within that window. But the, the, the Pharisees were going to eat the, the Passover meal after they took him to Pilate because they didn't go into the, to the praetorium because they didn't want to defile themselves so they could eat the Passover meal without being defiled. They were going to take him to be murdered, and they were going to murder Christ, but they didn't want to be defiled by going into the Gentile court so they could eat the Passover without being defiled. So the Jewish day of preparation started Wednesday? The actually 24-hour day of preparation started Thursday evening at 6 o'clock and ends Friday evening at 6 o'clock of this particular week. And then Friday evening would begin the, pass begin the Sabbath of that week, so this, this day of Passover happened to, to, to occur the day before the Sabbath. That's why they had to bury him before 6 o'clock so that they wouldn't be doing it on the Sabbath. So this is like John was the only disciple who kind of followed all the way to, to the 
it seems like John had a connection even in the uh, Sanhedrin or even in the chief priests because they knew who he was. He must have had a little bit more of prestige amongst the, the leadership than the rest of the disciples. John seemed to have more, and he seemed to be the one that did not just completely depart Jesus, and he stayed with him all the way through. I wanted to add that uh, when you were reading of the Jews and the mothers, I'm taunting part of that sort of thought. On a physical dimension, it was reminiscent of the Jews always being assigned, but also on the spiritual, it was also reminiscent of when the devil was always tempting him to not go to the cross. If you are the son of God, do this again. So, so on the spiritual level, even at that time, it seemed like the devil was trying to tempt him not to die. Well, it's kind of funny because it seems like that the devil, on the one hand, didn't want the fulfillment of God's purpose, but I don't think he had clear understanding of all that that was involved. And on the other hand, he hated God so much that he wanted to have him killed. So he, he also was involved in having him uh, humiliated, mistreated, and then crucified because he wanted to see him suffer greatly on the cross. One more. Uh, Luke 23, that Jesus um, had um, spoken to the daughters of Jerusalem. It says that uh, uh, as far as they you know, tried for the mountains to uh, fall on us, uh, the hills, right? Is that, is that the, the Revelation 6? Yes, that is Revelation 6 when they see the, 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 the judgments, the supernatural judgments being poured out, uh, or the natural judgments being poured out in the sealed judgments that that continue throughout the seven years are going to be also true for those people that are saying uh, they're seeing the devastation of the judgment of God during the tribulation. Yeah, because here it says, <laughs> then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free. So that's covering everyone. Everyone. Yeah. Everyone's going to know that the wrath of God is being poured out, including the Jews. They're going to understand that. So it's, a time, it's, a, it's, a, it's at the time when the wrath of God is being poured out in the tribulation that these Jews, women, are going to, I mean, the, the Jews are going to suffer also at the same time when everybody else is suffering from that. So that's why he's saying that, that it's, it's at the time when the mountains are going to, they're going to cry out for the mountains to fall upon them. And it's kind of ironic that they're worried about the wrath of God killing them, and they say, well, have the mountains fall on us and kill us. So that makes sense.